0: Come on. What happened at the house? I mean, that goes fine, but um, I had to kill nine of them. Listen, we're so far outside on this one, it's not even funny. You scared?
1: <clears throat> nah.
0: You should be.
2: Alright, welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up or are best left in the past. I'm Tristed. I'm Greg. And today, we are talking about...
3: Showdown in Little Tokyo. Ooh.
2: The blockbuster breakout hit of 1991. Or so they thought.
3: So I thought.
2: So I thought. It seemed more culturally significant than that, right? Hmm. Budget of 8 mil, gross of 2.3 mil. <laughs> <laughs> That's That sounds bad. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not the ROI you shoot for in this kind of situation. Outside of the US, Hungary, Mexico, <laughs> Israel, it didn't make a cinema release. Not even in Sweden?
3: Dolph's. Like Dolph's native country.
2: Mm, he made a fact there. Because if he was Australian, it would be released. Because it's like, oh. Our Dolph. Ken Oath. Uh, yeah. Our Nicole. Our Dolph. Outside of those countries, not released at cinema. But it did crack the top ten in Hungary that year. Good. Great canny. This is a fresh year for you. You want to you take a stab at maybe what some of the big movies were in 1991. Significant year for you,
3: specifically. A significant year for me. For the lap pack. Um, Was there some Arnie in there?
2: Damn right there was. Number 2 Right on the money. Number one movie in 1991, Terminator 2.
3: Judgment Day.
2: Yes.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Fun fact. It was the first R-rated movie that my mum legitimately let me borrow from the movie store rather than having to, you know, sneak. That's
2: actually a really good point. It's probably, we should check, but it might be the first number one R-rated movie.
3: Could be. Probably not. All right, Sarah, the intern's going to check. There's a
2: couple other nuggets in here that are your speed. Uh,
3: Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Damn right. How would I have known that? (laughs) I joined some dots, which I'll elaborate on shortly.
2: Oh, okay, keep going. They're the top two, by the Robinhood, way. Robin Hood, You're oh, doing this right. in I've got, order. I've got the top two. This is like, in terms of prices, right? You're winning the showcase at this Far point. out. But... Okay.
3: Oh, goodness. This is going to be...
2: I mean, that's already a word in my book. crocodile Dundee 2? No. Nah. <laughs> There's some real nuggets in here. You name two of the biggest, chunkiest nuggets I could think of. But Beauty and the Beast came in at number three. Silence of the Lambs, number four. Ah, that's... City Slickers, number five. Hook at number six, which I think will be very rich territory for us to dig into.
3: I started watching it the other night.
2: Yeah, it it's stopped. interesting. That'll be definitely whether we watch Adam's Family, Sleeping with the Enemy. I know that was on the tip of your tongue.
3: <laughs> I've actually seen that maybe quite a few times.
2: Really? I don't think... Father of the Bride. Ah i would rewatch that in a heartbeat. I
3: I've watched it I've watched it th- twice or thrice since uh since being married. My wife loves that movie. Really?
2: I was gonna movie. say that's not well trodden territory for, I saw it when it came out, but I haven't and it's just, it's slightly different it's one to of the my other dad's movies we have been doing. We should do that. I don't know if Frank holds up, but the others might.
3: Frank would definitely hold up.
2: But a really interesting year for movies because there's also, outside of the top 10, there was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 2. Oh, Hot Shots was this year. Oh, Part 2? Uh, Hot Shots Part 1. Ah, uh, good. Boys in the Hood. Ah! Oh, My Girl. So good. My Rocketeer. Girl. We could do a whole podcast about 1991. Like these, Thelma and Louise, Freddy's Dead, Maroon Elm Street, L.A. Story. Don't tell mum the babysitter's dead.
3: I tried to find that. <laughs> it's not on Apple TV. I wanted us to do it. It's that. not even on Apple TV. No. I wanted us to do it next.
2: This is the this is Apex. Our jam
3: as a period, isn't this it? This is
2: like When's let's keep mining nineteen ninety one. Yeah, when is Inciner It must be later.
3: In was ninety two. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, that's a good year. Yeah, so Dolph didn't quite crack the uh the top ten there.
3: No, understanding relative to the competition. It's, um, there's many great athletes that were just born into the wrong era. Andy Murray, fantastic Fact. tennis player, but yeah. born in the same era as Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. Born in the wrong era.
2: I thought this was late Dolph. No, wait, what did I think?
3: <laughs> <laughs> what did you think? Tell me what you think. But How are you going to find the killer, Clarice? Have you looked inside your head, look inside your own thoughts and feelings and see where you might take it? <laughs>
2: Wrong. I thought this was early Dolph, but he'd done a ton of movies before this. Of he's done the obvious ones, like Rocky, eh? but he's also done The Punisher. Did you know there was a Punisher movie? Yeah. Did you ever see that? Uh,
3: yeah, I've seen it, and he also did He Man.
2: Yeah, He Man. This guy made a ton of movies, and for me, Universal Soldier was the first one. Yeah. That established him in my brain as a guy. That and it's probably still my number one for him. Do you have a Dolph Lundgren essential?
3: Ooh, good question. Uh, yeah, this movie is definitely one of them. When did When did Universal Soldier come out?
2: After this, I checked After. that. Yeah, I was pretty scared of him seeing Universal Soldier as a small child. Yeah, I'm all ears. Oh yeah, good line. What layers? He's a good bad guy. Yeah. And I think that's maybe one of the issues with this movie, is he's just not interesting enough. Yeah. Yet he's so young and perfect looking. <laughs> what a specimen. a specimen! It's insane. <laughs> it's actually cast insane. Perfectly Drago.
3: Can see where Grace Jones was coming from.
2: Grace Jones got some got some taste. Yeah. Does everyone know the Grace Jones story? We'll give it to him just in case. Dolph Lundgren
3: is. Um, many people don't know. Pretty, pretty intelligent cat. So he was in Sydney, Australia, um, studying his is it master's in like chemistry or something to that extent. Yeah, so the science, he, a pretty,
2: he had a degree in chemical engineering. Yeah, did yeah, his master's degree at Sydney University in 1982. There you go. So he was Third band, studying. black belt, in Kyokushin. Kyokushin. karate, Kyokushin. But all of that was just the precursor. Yeah, yeah.
3: So he was out here studying his uh, master's in chemical engineering or something equally intelligent. And he was working as a bouncer at a popular Sydney night spot called Metropolis in North Sydney, which many of our listeners may have been to. I
2: frequented on a
3: Thursday. Yeah, big time. It's a Thursday spot. Exactly. North Sydney Thursdays, big thing. Not sure about now. Sorry, Grace Jones, the legendary singer slash actress slash epic personality yeah she's amazing she was out here touring and saw him as the bouncer and was just like "Ooh, he can bounce me (laughs) he became her personal security guard Mm. Mm -hmm. and he secured her all over the world and um right into a little place called
4: hollywood Dolph Lundgren's a bona fide star,
1: but his route to Hollywood started right here in Australia almost 30 years ago.
0: I started here back in the 80s when I was a student at Sydney Uni and I stayed at Wesley College there and I was a chemical engineering student on a scholarship from Sweden, from my school in Sweden. I was here for a full year and uh, that's the time I started sort of getting into modeling a little bit and uh, then I did some security over at the Capitol Theatre. And one night, the, the singer was, or um, well, the actress, Grace Jones. She kind of caught my eye or vice versa. And um, and uh, well, we went out that night and then we kind of, I missed lessons next day, I remember that. Anyway, and then uh, we had an affair. We were together for four years. And um, she was the one who brought me to New York, and in New York, I met Andy Warhol and bunch of guys, and got into acting, and then that brought me to Hollywood.
2: But this guy, you- man, like so many people, you think of this movie, you think of Universal Soldier, and you just think of C grade, lap yeah. pack crew. Yeah, I'll explain lap pack in a second. We'll yeah. see if we we'll make it a thing. But man, yeah, like you just you should be engineer. I think he's in Mensa as well. I heard. Yeah, maybe, hanging was, out with Andy Warhol. He like. was so he was on a
3: scholarship studying chemical engineering at Sydney Uni. So Sydney Uni is a pretty serious uni. To I go didn't to. make it in there. I did not all. Club oh, back, I did, baby. I did for arts. Uh. <laughs> um, I lasted four weeks, but that's another story. <laughs> the so he's come out here on a scholarship, chemical engineering at Sydney Uni, and then bouncing at the Capitol Theatre, not not Metropolis, apparently. And then a musical superstar sees him and thinks has the hots for him and takes him on this world adventure. To me, and Andy Warhol becomes a model. He becomes an actor. Like that's a pretty incredible. It's a story.
2: Cinderella story, man. It's almost like I, this sounds negative, but I don't mean it that way. But it's like a Forrest Gump story in terms of just weaving through the cultural history of just so many significant events. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Like, what a legend! And
3: how is he smart when he looks like that?
2: Yeah, yeah. Like, like, what's the weak point here? Yeah, what what are we missing?
3: Maybe as a curled toe. I mean,
2: he's not a. We'll get into his acting ability soon, but ultimately, killing it. Oh, man, killing it. Underappreciated. I'm crushing hard. We have fans, unapologetic fans he of seems *Dolph Lundgren*. So nice. Maybe this isn't his best picture, but fuck, he's a great man. Yeah. What about your memory of seeing this film for the first time? Do you? Is it a specific moment?
3: Not super. Specific, but I remember my brother procured it Mm. on VHS. It was pretty hard to come by, but like we knew it was out there. Yeah, we knew that this movie. It's one of those names
2: you would you knew it. And I probably
3: would have been. It realistically would have been probably ninety three or something when I. I probably would have been about year six. Yeah, when I saw it, and um and it was a different version to what we watched because I can't find. It's just a cut version. We'll talk a bit more about that later, but. And yeah, the whole Yakuza thing was pretty incredible. I thought the her.
2: tattoos were pretty well done too. It looked like kind of hand-painted. Looks like a little work went into that. What? They're not real? Nah. For me, this one, I think it was mashed up with a bunch of other movies of this era. <laughs> and even just <laughs> yeah. in name, because yeah. there's like Big Trouble in Little China, Japan and China. I know they're different places, but just as a child, it was just like a bit of a mishmash. Dolph Lundgren, Universal Soldier. There was just all these movies... Should we talk about the Lap Pack? Yeah. The Lap Pack. We're donning this name here on this podcast, original source right now. Right now. you got your Rat Pack.
3: Uh-huh.
2: The Rat Pack. Who's in the Rat Pack? You've got, you got your Sinatris. Sammy Davis. you got your... Tony. Martins. Your Dean Martins. Tony. Is there a Tony in there? you got your Brat Packs. Molly Ringwald. Rob Lowe. Even the guy from Two and a Half Men, you got your Brat Pack. Then you got your Frat Pack. You remember Frat Pack?
3: Yeah, of course.
2: That's Will Fell. That's Will That's your Fowl. Vince Vaughn's. That's your Ben Stiller's. That's your Jack Black's. Yeah. But I got a new one for y'all. The Lat Pack. The Lat Pack. The muscle-bound killers of Referring the late Referring to the Latimus 80s. Dorsey. Latissimus Dorsey's. Lat's for days. These guys got wings. This is the Lat Pack. This is just the loans. This is your Arnie's. This is your... Lundgren's.
3: Yeah. Basically, it's your Expendables.
2: Yeah. this Basically, the Expendables before the Expendables. This is the era. This is the pack that we're talking about tonight. My point here is that in these days, at this point in my small brain's development, they were kind of all one movie, and I didn't really have a distinct memory of this one specifically. But I, I can guess I probably would have seen that my mate's place, Jono. That's where I saw the R-rated films. Yeah. I probably saw... Father of the bride at my house. They went to Jonah's house and saw, showed out. That sounds take, like yeah. a pretty ideal afternoon. It's not a bad, not a bad Saturday. I tell yeah. you what, we Did might have gone on our BMXs to... a little bit too, and 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 different. looked for it in the sewer at some point. That's a good afternoon. The, I think the, the the overall thing I probably do remember from this is Tia Carrera. <laughs> really? Yeah. Showdown's a special place, in that era of my life.
3: Yeah. Oh, I've got. One or two things just quickly on the on 1991. Freddie Mercury died. Ooh. But Ed Sheeran was born. Coincidence? <laughs> the number 1 song of the year akin to the one of the big releases of the year, that's how I got it. Brian Adams.
2: Oh.
3: Everything I do I do it for you. I remember that being number 1 forever. Did you watch Rage?
2: <laughs> to me, did I watch Rage? Yeah, so we had three channels. You know, it gets to number one what else and am I every
3: watch? time. I must remember the opening scene, which was a panning shot of the treehouse in the woods. And, I
2: I know that movie mostly from Rage, You're right? Rage. From the video clip. Rage, Rage. Should we dive into the picture? Yeah, let's kick it off with the trailer.
4: For over 400 years, they've developed their own mysterious traditions. For over 400 years, they've had a strict code of honor and unparalleled standards of respect. For over 400 years, they have terrorized the streets of Japan. Now, they want to control the city of Los Angeles. Determined to leave their mark in blood, Dolph Lundgren and Brandon Lee are ready for a showdown in Little Tokyo. They're two LA cops who are hungry for a little takeout. Dolph Lundgren, Brandon Lee. Showdown in Little Tokyo
2: What a trailer What a racist Fucking trailer <laughs> We'll get into more of that a little later But first Greg I want to hear your initial thoughts Don't so let my sentiment around the trailer uh, Lead the witness there But just came for it how, how did you feel re-watching this as grown Greg?
3: I was excited Turned it on Sitting there with Carol And I was just feeling good about watching this movie, just because it's, man, it's light entertainment. It's so light, even with all the hecticness. Yeah, it's a light, it's a light viewing, and it just keeps you going like it's old school action movie. Yeah, and I think the the
2: cheesiness is
3: light. It just doesn't. I mean, there's not a lot you can do in an hour and seventeen minutes.
2: Yeah, to your point before about this elusive longer version. Yeah. It was edited and re edited and edited. Could you actually could you
3: tell when you watched it? Did you feel... Because there's certainly part There was one
2: scene I thought maybe could have gone a little a little longer. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so me and my wife both noticed this. Uh when when Tia Carrera finally gave in to her one dimensional desires to uh finally consummate her eight second relationship with Uh, Dolph Lundgren, with eight seconds of sex. Not a montage. Literally rolls a top of him and rolls off eight seconds later. He has a little giggle. Yeah. That was odd. Yeah. But more broadly speaking, my thoughts, Dolph, what a specimen. (laughs) I like the aesthetic of the film. Maybe some of it's problematic because it's so deeply rooted in racial stereotypes. But just as the aesthetic (laughs) overall, the neon and the... I dig it. I'm into that. Can
3: I say I support that? Also with the soundtrack, which is like yeah. heaps oriental.
2: Yeah. Ding, 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 ding 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 I love yeah, that. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Did you ever see Kong Fury on Netflix? No. It's basically a nineties movies nineties movie made today, but it's very this aesthetic is very in line with that the the excess and the you know who just picks up the car? Just cause yeah. <laughs> Because he's Ooh. huge, I'm going to pick Wait, it up he's now. He's going to
3: defend himself from bullets. What else yeah, he going to do? I guess so. He doesn't have a shield, Tristan. He had to use the car. Gosh,
2: I found it weird that um, that Brandon Lee was sort of the Chandler Bing of this film. <laughs> yeah, could I be any more of a sidekick?
3: <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, that, that right? actually—he's Bruce Lee's son. I know. What a
2: badass!
3: And. He's, You're
2: Bruce Lee's son, man. But
3: he's all, he's also fucking good in it. Like his, from a, yeah, well, martial arts perspective, his fight sequences. Not to go too deep on martial arts because I'll get carried away. But stylistically, Dolph is a beast, and he's really good karate guy, and he flips cars and. knocks He's his more out. of
2: the Shaquille O'Neal in this equation, correct? Uh, Brandon Lee's the Kobe, perhaps.
3: Yeah, or a Stockton and Malone. Yeah, big guy, little guy. But his fight sequences, there was one at the end It was, it was really good. He was doing some it's pretty – they were very modern techniques like for the time. Oh, yeah? In hindsight, that was – yeah. He basically – it's a, probably more of a modern sort of thing that you wouldn't have seen in movies. I mean, Bruce Lee might have done it, but Bruce Lee was right. like light years ahead of martial arts in film and martial arts in general. So yeah. it wasn't a very textbook thing to see in a movie for that period. Right.
2: I wonder how much of that was driven by Brandon. This was his yeah. first American movies. This was,
3: yeah, this was his first legacy of studio age, film. Wasn't
2: it? Mission. Later on, he had Rapid Fire yeah. after this, yeah, but which I really enjoy as well. But yeah, this was this was basically it for him as as his first yeah, kind first, of American picture. the first studio film. Yeah, signed on for Warner Brothers. I understand. And I think on paper he probably would have been pretty pumped, right? Like this is, you know, doing my dad proud. I'm making this fucking epic pictures Dolph Lundgren what a gangster Um, I I managed to dig up an interview of him on the set talking about this movie and also his dad's influence
4: one of the things my father always used to say about the martial arts was when he was creating his own form of martial arts which he called Jeet Kune Do he always used to say absorb what is useful discard what is useless and add what is essentially your own and that makes a lot of sense to me in a lot of other areas of life you know it's like you look around you take what you can use you get rid of what isn't any good to you and then you add what's yours and that's what you have to give you know so i learned a lot of things from my father
3: yeah nice bruce lee's uh, was a you know big philosopher that was always part of who he was, but I think in retrospect as time's gone past, people are starting to understand that side of him more. So it's interesting to, to hear his son.
2: Yeah, and there's just this, like it's kind of heartbreaking knowing how it all pans out it's for him. But
3: heartbreaking, yeah.
2: That interview is on set for this movie, which we know is not maybe the best movie ever, but his, you can tell this, he's talking about it as if this is, you know, I'm, I, I'm on the trajectory now yeah. to... Do the thing, my dad. I'm uh, picking
3: up where my dad left off because he obviously didn't get to fulfil yeah his entire journey, and then man, it's it's a tragedy. Yeah,
2: yeah. But re- rewind slightly. This is a bit of an enigma in terms of how this movie came to be. So technically, the writer credit goes to Stephen Giants and Calliope Battle Street, but there was apparently an earlier draft that had a more serious tone to it. And the guy that wrote that was the guy that wrote the Dirty Harry film, The Deadpool. Not The Deadpool with Ryan Reynolds, although you could kind of see Ryan Reynolds in the role of Brandon, Brandon Lee in this Lee. one. <laughs> oh, God. Be thankful we don't have that. But the director, Mark Lester, prior to this, he just made Commando. I didn't know he made both those movies. That's yeah, really he also did Armed and Dangerous with Eugene Levy and John Candy. And Meg Ryan. Is she in that? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, he made this picture. That, uh, this is where it gets really interesting in terms of what you're saying about the director's cut because there's so many cuts of this fucking thing. What do you mean? So the original script was longer, more serious. Then Lester comes in, makes the movie. Warner Brothers, unhappy with the early cut. They bring in this guy, Michael Elliott, who's a editor, substantially re-edits it, makes it faster. He cuts things like... That training montage that's later in the movie. It's the shortest montage. That you was, never cut a montage. That
3: was, montage. Never cut a
2: montage. Montage. He had a ten-minute montage of Dolph getting his gear ready. That was the intro to the movie. Um, there was more fail. Yeah, I think that's a fail. I want to see that more buddy cop stuff, more action, more drama. Again, why do they cut this stuff? You know what? This needs less action, less drama. Yeah. The
4: Madness. Funniest, the
2: funniest thing was that cut, Warner Brothers was like, you know what? Let's get another editor in and let's edit the edit. At this point, we're down to 79 minutes. It's like peeling away an onion. I'm pretty sure at this point you're on the cusp of not being a feature-length film.
3: There's episodes a, a of little, a little background Game of
2: Thrones longer than this. In the lead up to this episode... Greg has been talking about some longer cut to this movie. And then to be honest, I didn't quite believe him, but based on all of this, it seems like there's something else out there. So if you know how to find it, let us know. Cause we want to see the extra 10 minutes of Dolph Lundgren putting on a kimono. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into it.
3: We <laughs> want to see two more spinny kicks <laughs> in a Japanese room. <laughs> yeah. It's a karate thing. <laughs>
2: All right, so that, that that's how the movie got made. That's how we got there. Let's step through the plot, Greg.
3: All right. The plot follows a fairly classic buddy-buddy mismatch cop story arc. So we start with Dolph Longren, a.k.a. Chris Kenner. He's an American, blue-eyed, six-foot-four, blonde-haired American. Mm. But he was raised in Japan which apparently gives uh-huh. him full licence for all the cultural appropriation he... That's
2: why he built desired. a house from scratch.
3: I built it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's... Uh, is this start, does it start off in the tea house? Is that the opening scene? Yeah. Or in the club? No, it starts in the club. The boxing, underground boxing.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: There's an underground boxing tournament uh, attended purely by uh, people of Eastern descent, except for... A gentleman that flies in on a rope and then beats up the two guys in the ring. Says he's, I'm him cracking down on you underground boxing, you Asian people. <laughs> America! Even though I'm Swedish. <laughs> anyway. And then he, uh, he gets chased out in the street. He does a pretty cool fly kick over a car that tries to run him over. It's actually pretty cool.
2: That was awesome. Yeah. Objectively awesome. Fly kick over a car. Yeah, and it looks almost... Even now,
3: I think that, that fly kick stacks up as... I
2: wonder if he did it. I kind of do wonder if he did it. He didn't do he it. He didn't do it. I'm... How fast was the car going? Because in theory, if the car's going fast enough... Look, I'm
3: I'm guessing he didn't do it. I remember as a kid when I was obsessed with martial arts, I'd read all these books and there was a, one I read about a really good karate guy in the 70s and he tried to do... Oh, granted, it was you know 20 years earlier and maybe he could do it now, but this guy tried to do that. He tried to jump kick over... A, speeding Corvette.
2: It wasn't Hilary Swank in the next Karate Kid, was it? It was not. She made it, though. She jumped on the bonnet. I remember that, the little yeah. squat jump. Yeah, anyway, sorry.
3: So this guy tried to jump over the car and got hit, and it crushed like it just blew his legs out in all sorts of ways. So I assume he didn't jump over the car, but nonetheless, it was a tight little scene. And uh, and then we go to Dolph Lundgren's having a peaceful morning in a Japanese tea house Oh, well, he's got a close relationship, it seems, with the elderly Japanese woman who runs the. You got gym. a real
2: shorthand. Yeah, they get each other.
3: They, yeah, there's she's flirting with him. It's quite nice, and then a couple of unsuspecting yakuza. Great suits. I love their, I love yeah. their outfits, man.
2: Love it. I'm a big fan. That was oh. my first note.
3: Great suits. Great suits. I also have that jotted, big double-breasted numbers in like yeah funny colors, the shirts, blazing yeah. colors everywhere. Amazing. Yeah. I think they're pretty well known for being sharp dressers as a rule. Yakuza. Asians.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that Greg did that with an ironic, self-aware face. <laughs> so, yeah.
3: The Yakuza, uh, I think the Yakuza are pretty well known for being on trend.
2: Yeah. They're one of the most stylish. They're very stylish. Of the organized crime oh, yeah. syndicates. A lot are, though. Is that part to... of it? Is that what the difference is between just being a street gang and being mafia?
3: Is just you dress better? Well, well, you probably got more money, so buy a more expensive shit. A lot
2: of There's a lot of adjusting ties when it comes to mafia. Yeah, you got it. You don't see that in street gangs.
3: Well, you get... Yeah, they don't have ties. Uh, Yakuza come in to debt collect, basically. So, you know, protect your money. Um, the old racket of asking local... What would you is...
2: say they're protecting this fine establishment from... What do you mean? What what do you think if she did not pay protection money? Oh, maybe they'll trash it. They might trash it. Break a few windows. Maybe shoot it up. Would it be worse than what Dolph Lundgren did to
3: this poor tea house? In no, in no scenario could it be any worse than what actually happened. He trashed
2: the fuck out of this place. He takes
3: them on in a cool way. It was very exciting. He's got a cup of coffee. The place is blitzed,
2: destroyed. Yeah. And I thought maybe the, the movie is in on the joke of this and she's going to come up and slap him at the end or ah, something. Ah, my else. star. She came up and hugged him
3: or she's something. like, children, because she... Well, the missing part is that... Uh, it's going to
2: cost more than protection money.
3: Brandon Lee comes in at the same time. That's right. And they have a little fight and then realise, stop, police. They're both police. I'm your new partner. Wap, what? Wap, wap. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, so that's the, that's where they
2: meet. Um, you missed a... one small detail. One of these men was the Shredder. The Shredder? Yeah, from Ninja Turtles. The live-action film.
3: Oh, I'll have to look at that in a second.
2: To- Toshiro Obata.
3: Ah, oh, yes. Excellent. Good
2: guy. Yeah.
3: Should I keep going on the plot? Yeah, keep going. Anyway, they end up going to a restaurant together to investigate more. They catch a hostage and they take him and he kills himself in the police studio and he's got Yakuza tattoos he vips his shirt which happens quite a few times in the movie. They rip the shirt. That's one of his moves. He's like, oh, I can see the tattoos. You're Yakuza. Yeah. That'd be harder in today's world because there's a That's lot what of I was thinking. people like, that have. Now you walk down through Bondi and everyone's Yakuza. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Anyway, then on the other side of town, there's a girl in a nightclub and then we see another Yaku- Yakuza guy kill her, chop her head off. It's quite graphic. So you're really starting to get a sense that these guys are bad news.
2: Yeah. yeah. I'm biting my tongue a bit here because I'm going to rant a little bit later about this. But yeah, these are just like... Killing machines. Horrible people that are just pure evil packaged up in a foreign stereotype.
3: They have nice tattoos, though.
2: Great tattoos. Again, I think it seems like they were and, hand-painted. And clothed. And he has so much charisma. Kerry, Kerry. Tagawa. Man.
3: Yeah, I'm nodding.
2: Big fan. Uh, Kung Lao? Is he Kung Lao in uh, Mortal Kombat? I he's think he's Kung Lao. Shao... Shao, Shao, Shao Sung? What? Shao Sung. Yeah. Am I pronouncing that correctly? He's also in Rising Sun. Yeah. He's got a type. Yeah. But that's how Hollywood worked then. So
3: uh, we get introduced to Tia career's character. She's like her buddy at the party. So then she sort of links up with the cops... They do a bit more investigative cop work. She gets kidnapped. She's going to kill herself. Dolph Lundgren breaks in and saves her, takes out so many dudes. I think he kills 40 guys in this movie or something. Yeah. Or 30. Maybe 30. I think be. it's 30. Then they, like, they sneak off to a house that he's built. They have a hot tub scene where Tia Carrera gets into a hot tub. Uh, but does she? It's a pretty blatant. Body double Body double. Uh, and then he built the house. This guy's just Japaneseing off his face. The whole premise of this partnership is that one of them's half Japanese, half American, a la Brandon Lee. The
2: one's all Japanese. One's,
3: <laughs> yeah, in spirit. Yeah, there's a bit of more shooty gunsies. Spinny kickies. Spinny kickies, spinny kickies, spinny kickies, spinny kickies girl screamy. <laughs>
2: No Brazies. No Brazies for Dolph or Tia. I like that. I actually appreciate that Dolph is basically wearing underwear for the second half of the movie,
3: (laughs) and with 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 commando boots.
2: Yeah, it's like it's it's kind of. I don't think I don't know if they meant it the way I'm interpreting it, but it's kind of like a yeah, like make him the 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 male gaze or the inversion of the male gaze.
3: You just get that stallion. Greased up body out there. I
2: mean, if I it. if I was that kind of specimen, that's all I would wear.
3: <laughs> so good. Anyway, they get kid, they kidnap her, and they the guys go after her, save the day, kill the bad guy. I I just can't deal with this plot too much.
2: I think the um bad guy's death, Yoshida's death, is pretty spectacular. <laughs> Literally it's spectacular. I like that someone was waiting to turn the spinning firework machine on. <laughs>
3: tell tell but us like, about the death.
2: So, violence ensues in Little Tokyo, which, as i researched, is actually a place in LA. There is a Little Tokyo, just just to be aware. Um, they have a sword fight, I guess. <laughs> um, Sorry, that's funny. Anyway, eventually, he makes full penetration whoa, whoa, whoa. with the sword. This is a sword fight. Hey, he penetrates out of with the his gutter? sword. He's like, you know what? This isn't enough. <laughs> just for comical <laughs> can effect.
3: Can I just um, say, this movie does have some homoerotic sub... Texts and I feel yeah, your sword analogy. Yeah,
2: phallic symbols. Well, at this point, he's like, you know what? I'm going to throw you onto this dartboard over here. <laughs> and it, the crowd is like, yeah! How do they know he's the good guy and he's the bad guy? He's obviously the bad guy. Just, just look, look at him. Just look at him. <laughs> I mean, he's obviously a bad guy.
3: I was too engrossed in justice to notice what was going on in the background. <laughs> Tear Carrera gives him a big cuddle. He's covered in blood. She just yeah. nuzzles it right in there. She doesn't care. She's been through so much with him in the last 20 minutes. So that's the, that's the plot in a nutshell. Oh, man.
2: It's a tricky one. How is it aged? Like, is there anything you think is, it stands the test of time? or All of it. Yeah? You're in? I mean,
3: you could easily put holes in it, but it's just like, it's just an awesome, it's a little representation of 1991 action yeah. movies. Crammed with every cliche, you know, like the, the mismatch cop Buddy, partner, duo thing—the obsession with a part of Asian culture, whether it be ne- like, yeah, it is negative. Yeah, when you, when you I think it, if
2: but. I'm in two minds. On one level, if you're if you're watching it through that lens, I agree 100. Yeah. But outside of that, yeah, yeah. nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if you're watching this as like a cultural artifact of 1991 and where Hollywood, Hollywood was at, yeah, I get it. It's like, this is like a insight into that kind of world. But outside of that, man, there's there's some problems. Some here. problems? <laughs> Tell us about the problems. I mean, I kinda wanna play the trailer again just to emphasize a few points <laughs> here. The trailer removes any question For four hundred
4: years. Yeah. The trailer removes pillaged.
2: any doubt that the racial stereotypes in here were innocent or you know, like this just emphasizes
4: For over 400 years, they've developed their own mysterious traditions. Now, they want to control the city of Los Angeles.
2: In terms of historical context, what was this, 91? Yeah. So this was a weird time in the US, right? So after all their cultural dominance, Japan is killing it. And especially in the home entertainment space. So the lounge room, which was traditionally owned by the U.S., is now getting taken over by Japan. To add insult to injury, Sony buys Columbia Pictures. I think that was 89. But this creates this really weird dynamic in the U.S. of this fear of the cultural invasion of Japan, and no one felt it more than Hollywood. Hollywood is the cultural product of the U.S., and the last thing they want is this foreign kind of outsider to come in and and, and mess that up for them. Mm. And so it gets into mainstream film. This is not the only one. There's Rising Sun. There's every Steven Seagal movie. There's a lot of Van Damme movies. This kind of demonization of Japanese, the cliche villains. Eventually, this expands beyond Japan even. It's Japan in this movie, but in a lot of other movies, it's not. Even Bloodsport. And when you look at this film specifically... It doesn't get more literal than this. You've got this tall <laughs> fucking blonde guy in L.A., Hollywood, the heartland of the cultural product that they're trying to yeah, defend, yeah. fighting off Japanese, literally fighting off Japanese influence. You
3: have him fighting it all off, but he's Mr. Japan.
2: But this is the this is the issue with all of it, is that he's better at being Japanese than they are. And this is the, uh, the okay. last samurai. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is the... This is the trope of um, the white guy that learns from the wise Asian man that beats the Asian man. There's a great piece by David Bessar, a, a film professor from Illinois. Basically, at this point in cinema in the US, if you're Asian, you had two roles to play. You're either the fearsome enemy or the harmless helper. That's it. That's all you get, and everyone in this film can be put into one of those, even Brandon Lee. Yeah. And then beyond that, the feminization and yeah. the asexual kind of nature of what they project on the on the Asian characters in this movie. Essentially, Brandon Lee serves as the masculine validator of Dolph. She, he's just kind of there. He's like a Robin, an asexual Robin. <laughs> he's,
3: he's, the only challenge on his asexualness is him pointing out when he talks about Dolph Lunders.
2: Well, that's perfect because if you had any doubt about whether he's there to serve Dolph's masculinity... That's the line. And if there's any, if you don't know what line we're talking about, it's this one.
4: Kenner, just in case we get killed, I wanted to tell you, you have the biggest dick I've ever seen on a man. Thanks. I don't know what to say.
3: Yeah. It's not a it's not a comfy moment.
2: He's literally validating his phallic masculinity yeah. in his dialogue. Like yeah. ruh, ruh, ruh. And maybe there's gray areas until you play literally that line. And the original script for that line was on a white man, which I don't know if that makes it better or worse. But what I think is kind of beautiful is the man himself in this film talking about this, our man Yoshida, my MVP in this movie. I don't know who, who, is, who's your MVP.
3: Uh, I had him. Yeah, I had him, but I had Brandon as well.
2: Brandon was good, but man.
3: But Yoshida's the man. Like Fuck, he's he's so good.
2: He's just, he is a ball of charisma, and as it turns out, a fucking smart, cool guy.
1: (laughs) I've been criticized for playing bad guys by different people within the Asian, Asian American community, because they feel that it puts us in a bad light. In Hollywood, you, you had a choice of playing wimpy businessmen or evil bad guys. And my intention was, if I'm going to choose between a wimpy businessman and playing a bad guy, I'm going to play a bad guy. Because I got balls. <laughs> I got balls. And I want kids to grow up to know the Asian man got balls. I have a purpose. It is to make change. And if it means playing stereotypes at this moment, I'll do it. Kerry Tagalog is not going to end up with a star on Hollywood Boulevard. That's not my goal. My goal is to affect the change of our
0: images.
3: What a legend. Eh? That was legitimately one of the coolest things I've heard. Like, to think that him, as I know him, has played yeah. these intentionally chosen this role and I'm going to be the biggest badass I can be for the reasons he's just explained. Is
2: He's American as well, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. South Carolina or North Carolina, one of the Carolinas, he's as American as apple pie. So it's also just kind of amazing that he's managed to have the career he's had. But, well, he's fucking charismatic on top of. Big time. Oh, all man. that. So that interview was late 90s. And the beautiful thing is where he's at now. So he's in Man in the High Castle now. And so he plays a Japanese character on that, which is completely against what he'd been typecast as. So it's kind of a nice resolution to all of this, which makes me extremely happy. And even just seeing him talk, fucking love it. And also, disclosure, this interviewer has no idea who he is or Man in the High Castle
1: like yourself Carrie yes. you your Tagawa I didn't mm-hmm. want to butcher it because you know okay oh, and so I appreciate great. that yeah I'd allow you to do that you're do. you know you're the bad guy and the villain in a lot of movies well I'm playing the nicest sweetest guy in the show Man in the High Castle for Amazon okay great so I've it's nice i my whole career to make the switch from bad guys and of course when anybody steps into Hollywood mm-hmm. you want to stick with what works yes and I've done that long enough and now I knew it would come to this where I get old enough where I could play good guys and uh, I'm excited this is the second half of my career so good for you congratulations so tell me how was that transition into mm-hmm. the bad guy into the good guy yeah it, it's not difficult for me because i've always kind of had that way in life I was always looking at it two different ways and to be bad you got to be angry and there were things that were angry in my childhood that i grew up with growing up as a, a very singular japanese family in north carolina louisiana texas so Learned real quick about certain things. and uh, But as time has gone on, certainly, and gotten older, and children, and the other part, the nice guy, good, peaceful guy, works. I love that. Do you remember a scene where you ate sushi off of a friend of mine, Shelly Michelle? Shelly, oh, <laughs> I do remember that scene. And the sushi kept falling apart.
2: <laughs> I love everything we talked about. I got a little heavy there in terms of... Representation of you know the Asian community in film, but it's is kind of beautiful to see him talk about it in the '90s versus now, and he's like, finally, I get to play a nice character. Yeah, fucking great.
3: The only downside to that is that a bit that he said he's like maybe it's because I'm old. you said it because I'm old.
2: Right. So maybe that's falling into another cliché. That's kind of a cliché as well. You can go into wives
3: but still fragile. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a dick now, but.
2: No, but at least you know at least I mean? there's more room to do something. Like he seems, he seems, he even the way he talks seems like satisfied in a way. Like oh man, but yeah. that
3: that first clip was mind blowing.
2: The irony, though, of her talking about him in the context of eating sushi of her friend, because yeah. I looked into this, the old Bechdel test.
3: Oh, hilarious! So well, yeah, Angel and yeah. What's is, the Akira's character's name?
2: I don't, know, I don't remember it. I was hoping you knew. <laughs> no, I have it, actually. She has a chat with
3: Angel at the pool, Minako. but they're talking about Ishida.
2: No, I double-checked. This film technically passes the Bechdel test. Is It, is it should not pass the Bechdel test.
3: Is it because they talk about
2: her drug addiction for a while? Yeah, so the, here's the condition. Yeah. There are two female characters yes. with names, Angel and Minako. They talk briefly about crack before they yeah. talk about men. Yeah, it's men. In the actually. in the in the scene immediately crack. following, they're eating sushi off naked women. So I don't know if that counts. Cross but technically, 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 this passes the Bagdell test, and I think in this example, we've found the loophole. I mean, yeah, because it doesn't feel. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is a, it is an interesting case exactly study hours. for like. I thought it was pretty foolproof, to be honest with you. And we found it on episode three. <laughs> episode
3: three. Yeah. With Showdown in Little Tokyo. Yeah.
2: With with a pretty fucking sexist movie. Mate. Sexist Aircraft and racist.
3: Is just outrageously the damsel. Yeah. Why does she follow the bad guys when she's getting dragged around at the end? It doesn't make any sense. She runs away with them. Ah. Uh, albeit in a white singlet with no bra. But she runs yeah. away with... It's...
2: Ah. Uh, what's your final verdict, Greg? Um, I hate
3: it <laughs> <laughs> just kidding wait i my final verdict is it's definitely a rewatch. yes, it's got some it's probably got some issues in the overall scheme of how it's portraying asian culture and et cetera et cetera but but <laughs> but for a ninety one action flick it was it didn't try and be too much it wasn't, and I thought I loved it,
2: yeah, I agree I think. In hindsight, we can watch this through that lens. And I think it's absolutely a rewatch. Again, like I said, I love the look of this movie. I mean, I love Brandon Lee and I love Dolph. And I love Tia Carrera. So so there's a lot about this movie I love. So as long as you're watching it with that in mind of the outdatedness of a lot of these stereotypes, I think you're in the clear. I don't think it's rebootable. I don't think there's much to do with this. But I do have a question for you, Greg. Yeah. Uh, I made a prediction a while ago of Dolph Lundgren's comeback. He hasn't quite met it yet. Yes, he's been in Creed two, and he's been in Aquaman. I follow him on Instagram. I, yeah, yeah, that's pretty significant. But what what do you reckon would be a good comeback vehicle for him? Aquaman,
3: two thousand and sixteen. <laughs> um, but good comeback movie. Oh man, I'm
2: tired because I feel like he's like, what's his pulp fiction? Travolta's pulp fiction for him. Because I, I immediately go to Tarantino, but I feel like that's a pretty cliche thing to go to for a comeback. Yeah. I can't think of anything more intelligent than that.
3: Uh, I probably can't. If, well, that's if you can't.
2: But I think he's got it because I think he's too beautiful in this movie. Did we talk about that? He's too beautiful in this movie. He's, he's weathered lovely. Have he's you? weathered great. Yeah, so if you, all he if has you to watch do Creed 2. He can stare blankly into the camera and he's acting, baby. I think he's
3: in comfy territory. I think he'll stay yeah. around.
2: He's around. I think he's on route. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I he's, agree.
3: He's, he's very much part of Hollywood. Yeah. He looks good. He's, got, he's in shape, but he's weathered.
2: I think he's going to do it. Yeah, probably.
3: Still not convinced yeah. he can
2: act. All right, what are we doing next week, Greg? We're going to
3: do a little film called Roadhouse, mm. starring Patrick Swayze.
2: Hot off the hills of dancing with the woman that got a nose job later and moved her career.